I have a lot of admiration for athletes and sports professionals who perform at the very highest level uh, to meet all of the physical, technical and emotional demands to ultimately entertain the rest of us whilst at the same time pushing boundaries and breaking records and changing the sporting landscape but also the entertainment landscape I suppose. My chosen sport GAA is that slight anomaly whereby the participants are amateurs yet the sport is presented and played at a high high professional level uh, unrivaled efforts to get to the very peak of the season in the semi-finals and finals of all codes football ladies football hurling and camogie and these people dust themselves off the following day and get back to work and I'm delighted to get sharing this conversation that I had with Richie Donnelly Trone Trillick Nature and co-owner um, maybe not in that order and maybe those orders kind of shift around he's a, a inter-county club footballer and he's running a very successful wonderful little cafe just outside Oma on the way to Cookstown called Nature & Co and it's a really an insight into a day in the life of the sporting star the committed athlete and the dedicated business professional so here we go without any further ado Richie Donnelly Richie good to get catching up with you at last yes it's been a while in the in the pipeline. It's been a while, and there's been a few things got in the way. How's the form anyway? Form's good, Paul. Uh, kept busy, trying to trying to push things along and stay stay active and improve things. So, um, but all in all, it's all good, thankfully. You and I had a conversation in Dungannon that might have been one lunchtime in Dungannon about four years ago, maybe, when you were yeah. showing me a logo for a coffee shop that you were going to set up and we had talked about uh, a place, Cafe Nero we had had loads of conversations up to that point give me, give me a bit of um, an overview of how the whole thing has started for you uh, in Oma started as you said Paul as an idea and a, a pen to paper effort of a logo um, and a, I suppose a minor concept in my head um, it was very much on a local level so obviously I was coming out of student life I had experienced the, the speciality coffee scene in Belfast as a student and then when you come home at weekends you're very much thinking I can't wait to get back to Belfast for a nice coffee um, so that's, that's kind of where the, the concept started in my head um, and then to add to that, I suppose my my own interest in healthy living, healthy eating and that side of stuff, I also didn't see that being catered for at a local level. Um, and again, it was something that I wanted to have as a consumer initially and be able to go somewhere and know that I'm getting good produce, a good coffee and a nice environment. Uh, and eventually it kind of dawns on you and thinks, well... Why don't I try something like this? Um, but then, whenever you, you reach the the idea or the concept, all the fear and doubt kicks in, and you're just like, no, I can't do this, or how do I even start, or where do I go? And you go through a phase, phase of that, I suppose, and 
that's probably a junction where I was very lucky to meet yourself and chat and you probably you're very honest with it and kind of stripped away all them barriers one by one and just questioned why why can I not why can you not do this or basically said where do you want to go and let's look at how and I think that them conversations helped me an awful lot um, and then it kind of went from there and as you say I put pen to paper with the logo to basically headline the concept or the idea that I had and it kind of snowballed from there so and where where is where is where are you at now how would you describe what you're doing now uh, I'm very close to basically everything that I had visioned for the, the initial concept in terms of having a having a decent coffee having a good location building a nice community everything kind of orientated around wellness socialising all, all pillars kind of relating to the well-being of humans and I think uh, I suppose when you take the very odd moment to reflect and look back I think I've achieved an awful lot of that in what I set out to achieve but I suppose I've achieved it in a sense that it's here and it's on offer but um, it's all about kind of driving a standard now and um, keeping it going to a high level So you're you're um you're out the uh, Cookstown Road. Road, yeah. So location-wise, we're out the out the Cookstown Road of Oma in the in the youth sports centre, just in on your left after Kelly Clacher before the Glendale Film Station. So you're you're hitting a massive target audience there of different types of people, of people out walking, people playing sport, people driving. There's a lot of traffic goes up and down that road every day. It's become a bit of a destination then. It has. Um, there's a huge demographic that uses the the, the wider facility um, every week. You have cross community stuff. You have soccer teams. You have GA training. You have athletics athletes training one to one with aspirations of going to Olympics. You have uh, community groups. The Run for Anda, the Anda Dome Foundation um, started, and it's now got a couple of hundred runners. Um, all mainly from the Oma Killyclaher area and beyond. You have Oma Harriers running group. Um, so you have couch to 5k groups, you have elite athletes, you have soccer teams, you have Cale McAleer there was recently a professional footballer. He's home now and set up a professional pro football coaching for young kids, um, soccer based. So he's really thriving. He's here three years now. So you have uh, an awful depth of amount like people from young, old, middle aged that are using the, the entire facility and I suppose where nature and co ties in, it's just offering uh I suppose a social destination with good coffee, a bit of grub, um, healthy and it kinda of, it all complements each other. So it is it is quite a quite a big destination now. And you're taking you started off really with a like you say you call it a vision, so you're looking at a a visual concept of what the logo might look like and what the what the um, product offering might look like. H- how did you get to that location exactly? Were you looking around at other places in Oma or other locations? Yeah, very, very, very randomly that I arrived at the the sit or the location that I'm in. Um, so, like probably most most people starting out to open a cafe or a I suppose any sort of. 
uh, Anthony in the hospitality industry, they're probably looking at High Street, Town Centre, where's all the people at, where's all the footfall at, and they're probably thinking, I need to be there. Yes, it's higher rates, but I'm going to have more people through the door, etc., etc. But I actually, I read a book one time, um, a fellow that owns 3FE Coffee Shop in Dublin, can't remember his name, uh, it's left me. He, he wrote a book, how, how Not to Run a Coffee Shop, and one of, the, one of the chapters in it was about location. And he, he totally flipped my view on what a good location is. So being inexperienced at the time myself, I was all about high footfall, high visibility, it needs to be town centre. Like I was looking initially at trying to open literally back to back to Cafe Nero um, in order to try and tap into that existing footfall. And if you do a better product, then you're going to have a successful business. But he flipped my whole view on location and what it meant and things to look for. So uh, nine times out of ten or eight times out of ten, he said in his book, people will choose a, a location based on convenience initially. Um, so that ticked the box here in terms of you have 200 odd free parking spaces at a out of town centre location. Um, it's convenient to the base two of the three main roads into Oma, the Cookstown Road, the Dublin Road, and then I suppose we're the other side from the Dromore Road, but it, uh, it takes a lot of boxes in terms of convenience, parking, ease of access. Um, and then he tapped into a bit of information around the existing community that's there. Can you build a community? Is there tangible, tangible avenues to create or build a, a, a community in that area and straight away you could see the, the outdoor facilities were already had a community that was using the facility, like the running track, the football pitches, young and old. Um, so a lot of these things just started to stack up. But I suppose I wasn't thinking like that all the time. I actually came out to use the ice bath here one evening and Sean Cronin, who is one of the founders of the complex here, um, showed me into the ice bath. I done my ice bath at a sore knee at the time, ironically, and came out of the ice bath. And I was walking up through the centre with him, and it was lying dormant. And I just came through the door and looked in. And I was like, "How is there not a cafe in this building?" When you think of the parking at that time, there was two or three teams outside playing. There's an empty, I suppose it was designed like a, a leisure centre caf cafeteria at the time. But it was just sitting empty, stairs checked or stacked up, uh, an empty counter, and I just thought this is absolutely prime for a for a good product. How long have you been in there now? We're here a year, just two weeks ago. So not, nothing during the the pandemic would have put you off or made you think about another something else, or were you still fixed and dedicated to that process the whole way through? Yeah, the pandemic actually afforded me the chance to take the jump and actually go for it. Good man. Um, I think you'll remember well our conversation. In Oma one day, it was probably a matter of weeks before the, the national lockdown came, when I when I took the jump to hand in my notice for my, for my sales role with Australia Dam. That's right, yeah. Um, uh, to go full tilt at the, the idea. 
because by that stage, with the help of yourself, it's stripped back all of the, I suppose, the doubts and barriers of actually making it happen and doing it. And I think that was the that was the last that was the last straw. And actually, just taking the jump and doing it was that day I spoke to you, Noma. So, but you're, you, you're not giving yourself a lot of credit for for that. I suppose it's maybe somebody maybe give you a nudge and all that. Like, but it was very clear from the start that you were. There was a um, you talk about that vision, you know, but you were very clear about visualizing what the logo would look like on your brand, your branded coffee or your t-shirts or whatever it is, and your marketing collateral. Like, I don't know if that's the right way to start or the wrong way to start, but it certainly gives you a really, really clear sense of where you're going, and been able to find somewhere like that in in um, in Oma um, is probably really well guided. Good luck, you know because other people might have looked at that and walked past it a hundred times. I'm sure people would have gone there and walked past that a hundred times and said, yeah, there's there's maybe a reason why nobody's doing that there, but you have a very, very clear brand offering out there. And as you said, there's there's multi, hundreds of different target audiences that you're serving out there. People that would never even think of probably going in for a coffee in town. Um, and then you take a look at the retail I suppose it's easier to retrofit that but you take a look at the retail offering in, in cities and in towns and that and it's under pressure you know people are buying all their stuff online and you know it has to be a really special kind of coffee offering for you to try and find parking on the high street to run and get a cup of coffee so you made some wise decisions either through your own choice and or through the benefit of reading that book I guess Yeah a bit of, a bit of both as you say there was luck in it too in that my initial intention coming out here was to use an ice bath and then something sparked with me. So I suppose in a way it kind of fell into place that way. Um, but yeah, the detail scene in the high street, if I was to set up what I have now, it, it wouldn't be the same. The, the location here and what I have here is totally, totally unique. And like, I know we'll move on to it shortly, but in terms of where it's going, like I, I get asked... I felt a pound for every time I was asked, are you going to open a second one? Are you going to add a location? But it's really hard to envision what I have here, how, how it would fit or work anywhere else because the building here, the people around here, the accessibility, everything about it is so unique. So it would be hard to replicate what I have here, if you know what I mean. So one of those um, kind of exclusive coffee shops in Belfast that you were probably drinking in when you were a student would have been established. That's right, yeah. And Absolutely. Bridgine and Mark, they, they set off by um, working in Starbucks in Junction 1. That was, they opened the, the very first Starbucks in Northern Ireland in Junction 1. And their next big thing was when are you going to open up a chain of established and um, what's the next big thing to do? And I think they spoke to a lot of people and one of their personal decisions was based on the fact that for them to set up another like a similar, identical, sorry, not just similar, an identical offering somewhere else in Belfast or in the north, it would mean that they would have to move either or both of themselves to that and some of their staff to that, which then kind of dilutes what they're doing in Belfast. And they have a training centre upstairs. They're as obsessive about coffee as anybody I know. The, the kind of a detail that they would go to. And that kind of brand 
is really, really hard to replicate if you're talking about replicating coffee shops, just basically moving coffee shops. So Starbucks have a very simple formula. Everything's in bulk, uh, chairs, everything, or Cafe Nero or Clements as it used to be in Belfast. They just parachute them into the locations and they get the economy of scale from buying and they move their staff around. I don't think the staff and established would tolerate that. You know, customers certainly wouldn't. And so it's a big challenge for you to decide to what the next step is there. What, what's, what's, um, what's been the biggest surprise? I've written down a quote, you know that quote Ray Liotta at the very beginning of Goodfellas? He says, um, ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to be a gangster. Um, it, it's probably ever since a kid, you always wanted to be a footballer and not a barista. <laughs> you probably don't consider yourself a barista, but for, you know, um, what, what did you, what, whenever you started, when the doors first opened and you were in, in a week or two weeks, what was kind of um, what was the big obstacle you you hit straight on that you weren't expecting? Uh, the biggest obstacle was probably initially I had zero experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and actually working in hospitality, in coffee, in food, in building a brand, in starting a brand. Like I had when I said zero experience, I had none whatsoever. Uh, done a few barista courses all that jazz I had tried to educate myself through reading and stuff but in terms of actually just being in the thick of it and practical experience I had none so that was the the biggest I suppose the biggest challenge early on was like I think the night before I opened I didn't sleep because we got our final day of barista training the day before from Big Nino from he's a he's a Croat. He works for the the guys in two fifty square in Dublin that ropes the coffee for me, and he spent a full day with us. And I didn't sleep that night because it was like, I actually don't know how to turn on the coffee machine and we're opening in the morning. Just <laughs> 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 the deadline, so, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it gave me it gave me a good uh, a good belief that the things like you have a fear of so many things, but nothing just nothing beats action like taking action and just getting stuck in it and figuring it out and I think it's it's the most the only way to learn really is actually just getting stuck in it making mistakes and figuring it out so that was probably initially the biggest challenge um, and then I suppose it, it turns to again experience related is establishing your systems and ways of working and your team values and starting to it's not that you sit down and look at them and write them down because it was inexperienced they didn't know to do this but it's over time you start to notice them and think the values are shaping themselves here or this is our ways of working this is our systems and then once it's once it's brought to your awareness you're like well I need to change that I need to adapt this or we need to actually establish what we want them to be systems wise values and all that so I think that was the next obstacle for me was once the, the blood and thunder of opening and the whole excitement and I suppose novelty had started to wear off and it very much becomes your day-to-day, your week-to-week. Um, you start to look at things you got then as like, right, we're open, we're off the ground, but how do, you, how do you keep this thing moving now? And again, that was all totally new to me in terms of running a business, the admin side of it, the finances, stuff I got. So again, I'm still, still very much learning all that stuff week to week and I'm over a year just over a year open now so that's been the biggest challenges now is the systems admin finance stuff we got 
that's all the real important stuff that no customer will ever see when you're pulling a, a you know a latte for them in the morning or getting your 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 breakfast bowls out like they they just they're not interested in that you know and there's a, there's a real difference you know I would always say I, I was taught this um, maybe in part learned it that no matter what business you're in you're always in service you're there to serve somebody and you get that part of it right it doesn't guarantee you success but it means your customers will keep coming back but your bank manager and your finance people and your suppliers aren't really interested in that side of it either they just want to make sure that you're ordering on time paying on time and then you've you've got a real juggling act because you can't be in two places at once although probably um, I don't know how, how do you find the customer facing side of it do you enjoy that? I really do enjoy it. It's probably the most rewarding bit of it is connecting with your customers, your regulars, the community, the new faces. It's definitely the most enjoyable part of it is meeting them, greeting them, serving them, and then seeing them come back through the door. Uh, you always be on a high, like you'd be on a Saturday there. You'd be rushed off your feet. You'd be exhausted by five o'clock on a Saturday, but um, it's always a nice high because of the buzz and the amount of people about. So. That's the most enjoyable side of it, but it's then having the energy to pick yourself up and actually do the the behind the scenes stuff to make sure that it can run like that on any given day. So that's, that's the truth. That's the that um, I did struggle with at the start, and I'm slowly learning to to adapt. So if you were um, maybe you've described that earlier, you you give a really good description of the type of business that it is and what you were trying to achieve by bringing together all the things that were important to you um, lifestyle, well-being, wellness all that, um, I say all that there's a whole collection of other things that you haven't said that I know, you've got the fitness side going on in the gym um, in the gym side of it you've got um, you've held you've had speak, guest speakers in um, a couple of local people have come in and helped out in that mindfulness thing, I know, I know you've done that you were used as a broadcast for the pre-All Ireland Team Talk, which is real good. So it's becoming a renowned, a renowned venue um, in many regards. Like, but if you were to, to um, would would you say that you've got the culture right at the minute, or have you got a clear idea in your head of what you want the culture of your people to be and how you want them to engage and act and behave and what's non-negotiable and negotiable in terms of uh, you've had, you've got a good clear picture in your head of all that. I do, um, and I'm more sure of that as of recently. Um, and the reason being, in terms of hiring people, you do, you take a chance on some some things or some people, and you learn lessons very quickly. But I think I'm more sure now than ever of what people I want to attract here, and that goes from staff right through to consumer. And I think we're you're starting to see now that our our staff and our team are being reflected with the consumer that's coming through the door. Like we we get a lot of good people come through the doors here, um, just good solid people that have a good way about them can have a conversation, good people skills and no errors or graces or anything like that. It's just very down to earth, grounded people. And I think I think that's starting to be more clear now than ever in the last few months, and I'm I'm really assured by that. So that's been one of the really pleasing things is we just we generally just get good people coming through the door. I think it's reflected in staff and consumers. Good man. Um, the consumers are it's probably 
It's probably not for anyone listening to this. It's probably not something that you write down on paper and say, I want to create this. I think it's just happened over time as a byproduct of the people that you have around you. And I think I just see, I'm just starting to see that now in recent months. It has to be a journey. Like, there's no way it would be a destination for you because your vision wasn't based on the finished product, it was based on a started an embryonic thing it was based in the very beginning and when you're in the middle of it like I know that like established is a really really good example for the people that haven't um, been to Belfast and I, you know I'd say established is probably the most visited coffee shop but everybody would have been there or heard of it you know it's got a really really prominent brand it's all been um, grown word of mouth you know the coffee standard is really high and the food standards high, services high, the conditions of, of eating are very high, they're 10 out of 10. But if, you know, if established wanted to set up a, a car showroom next week, you know exactly what that car showroom would look like. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You would know what it would feel like, the smells, you would know how the staff would be dressed, you know the, the service levels they'd be at, you know what they would tolerate and they wouldn't tolerate. And that's based on that whole culture thing being a constant movement. It's just they keep on doing and they keep on doing and they may not have changed much from the very start but they probably you know you wouldn't notice the changes but they would have changed dramatically since the very beginning but always been very faithful to their brand values always been very faithful to it you know and, and I'm saying this to you like based on the fact that they're that's the company you want to emulate you know it may be somebody else you want to emulate it may be somebody entirely different because your, your, your offerings are very very different anyway like so yeah, but no, to be fair, um, and we spoke about this before, what established are doing in Bathurst is very much what I would have included in my vision from the start. When you say it was just an idea, um, I would have spent a lot of time around it myself as a student and both when I was working in Belfast. Um, I just loved everything about it, as you say, the fit out, the feel. It was relaxed. You could work on your laptop, you could read a book, you could go with a friend and have a discussion. And they're all very much things that I've tried to include in my cafe space as well. And that is totally adaptable for a, a number of different needs for people coming in. So they can go on a Zoom, they can remote work for six hours. They can read a book, they can come with a friend or a group. Um, it's very, very diverse that way, but it definitely established for one of the one of the cafes I modeled it off. And we touched on it kind of briefly a minute ago, um, where does it go from here? Where does where does Nature and Co move from here? I know you've got you've you've changed some of the product offerings. You bring you brought in ice cream, which is very timely for you. You're probably doing a roaring trade just now with that. But in terms of the overall brand and everything else with it, where where do you see it moving to? I think there's an awful lot to develop and explore on this first site initially. So. Generally, when people say, what are you doing next? They'll be thinking of a second location. I think there's there's much more to be to be developed in this location. So, um, as you say, we have the, the cafe space and then we have the whole wellness side, which is nearly a totally separate business in a way, in that we offer hot yoga, we have Rashi doing Pilates, we have the output classes, um, 15 classes a week running in it. Um, we'll have two yoga classes per week from September. We have four Pilates per week. Um, and then we have the infrared sauna studio as well. And then I'm also adding in a remote working room that can be rented out for 
team use. So if a corporate team want to come and have their team meeting on site, they can have a meeting room projector, do their do their stuff and have refreshments and stuff like that as well. And then it can also be split into four pods for remote workers to pay a daily rate if they want to go and work off site someday for a change of scenery. So um, that's hoping hoping to that ready now in mid September. Good one. Um, so that's going to be another added feature and then as you say the the ice cream has been added now in the summertime um which is a good addition because obviously we have a lot of a lot of young kids that be using the outdoor facilities as well or attending the cafe with their mums so or dads so it's kind of there's a lot there's a lot to evolve and add to on this current current uh, location and then you have as you mentioned earlier the whole the retail and the marketing collateral of uh, merch with clothing, different coffee products, stuff like that that I want to, I suppose, add and develop and have it all accessible both on-site and online. Um, so a lot of a lot of different things to, to add to the business and make it better. And I also have a, a, a Click and Collect app launching now in two weeks as well. So that will cater for a, like a passing trade, an early morning trade before work or a a limited lunchtime trade as well. Excellent. Um, so there's probably a lot of a lot of elements to add and maximize here first before I even consider growing elsewhere. Uh, yeah, like I mean, one of the things that the guys that established made very clear was that they had really, really incredible faith in their brand and their value as people to the brand and their value of the people to the brand and whilst the rest of the coffee world was all about multi-locations and opening up and opening up and opening up they were very very clear that the value came through the way they treated their customers and their coffee and that's going to be diluted but yeah crack you know one step at a time as they say Absolutely, yeah. Is it is there something in the water up in Garvahi that has all the Tyrone men opening up coffee shops these days? <laughs> it's an active scene at the minute, isn't it? There's uh, Young McKenna, Connor Young McKenna, Connor, 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 Connor has opened uh, Rico. Him and the brother Ryan opened uh, in the Moy there, and uh, just last last autumn, summertime. So um, I was down it a few weeks ago. There's a lovely spot as well. Doing a great job. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think. No, that's that's the only one. But Connor, Connor and Ryan's going now. Been nearly a year now as well. It's, it's um, from a distance, it's all very glamorous about pulling funny shapes on top of a cappuccino, but it's hard work. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's hard work. That's, that's the easy bit is doing the latte art. Uh, latte, that's what it's called. Is it latte art? Right there, you're right. Yeah. Um, so what? How do you how do you fit in the running the business with the the lifestyle of a um, elite athlete? Uh, I don't know if I fit it in. It's I'll be perfectly honest. It's probably the biggest struggle uh, at the minute is is trying to do both at a high level. Um, and that's not to say that I'm not doing both at a high level, but it's. I'd be lying to you if I said I was on top of it all. It's it can be sometimes very reactive, and I think you kind of have to get comfortable in that chaos of running a business. It's gonna something will pop its head up at any given time, and you just have to go and attend to it and 
uh, face it head on. And you have some days planned, you have some weeks planned, and none of it comes to fruition because you have to go and attend to X, Y, Z. But it's becoming comfortable to that sort of way of working or that chaos. It's just like, right, what's the challenge then? You you go and take it head on, and I think sport, sport taught me that at an early age, which is good. Yeah. But in terms of managing both, um, it's very difficult. It's tough, and it it does require a lot of a lot of energy, uh, because you're you have to be on it when you're in the workplace, and then you're going to going to club train, going to the train, train, and the same standards are demanded of you, mainly from yourself, but also others as well. Yeah. So you're nearly going. 16 hours in the day where you're mentally just totally trying to focus in on the exact moment you're in but that's a big demand you know and you have uh, I suppose you're working for somebody else you're working for a GAA minded or a Tyrone fanatic and they have somebody working for them that's playing for the county they're more likely to take your time off, don't you worry, take a lot of days and recovery and all that sort of stuff. And I think that's really, you know, benevolent. And, and I love the idea that I know there are employees that do that. There's a lot of employees do that and they're very, very um, kind of, uh, they know what you're going through. The challenge that you have is that there's, you're the one that has to answer those questions. You're the one that has to write your schedule for the day. You're the one that has to do the last minute orders and the clean up and you're the one that knows when you've got to get up early to do your fitness stuff and, and so on and so on. So it's um, it's a tough station you've picked. It is, it is. And I suppose people would think it's a coffee shop, it's handy work, it's good hours. I actually had uh, Eamon McGee from Donegal was in on Sunday. Oh, good man, coffee. good man. Uh, uh, Eamon's just obviously recently retired from... Intercounty football, but he's deadly on that podcast. He's uh, what do you call him? On the media, yeah, he's very good. Darren Sullivan, him class, eh? Yeah, um, very well. He's a good fella, but he he mentioned that he was on about how do you find it with football and run the business and that and with here. And I was like, ah, oh, it's tough. Um, it's not too bad now, but you just get on with whatever. And he said, actually, don't be killed. It's it's a handy enough gig. Like you wouldn't be pushed too hard with something like this and. You just kind of know and agree at the time, but in my head I was like, "Jesus, if only you seen me two weeks ago." <laughs> yeah, the yeah. The the only people that will know what it feels like would be maybe yourself and and Connor or somebody somebody else in the intercounty scene who's running a similar business, you know. And it's very hard to sit on the two stools, no matter what. Like if you're doing whatever you're doing, whether you're working in the civil service and doing amateur dramatics for the Barney Theatre at the weekend it's really hard to dovetail everything in so that you're able to get your personal life, your private life, your social life, your interpart, all that stuff ticked off as well because you've other things to be to be looking at. Is there, what's, what's the support mechanism like with the rest of the lads in the county and that? Does it, is everybody understanding and they kind of know the crack? In terms of what you have to deal with? Because everybody else is coming to train them with similar or other problems, aren't they? So they're, you're not alone, like... No, I would definitely think a lot of people a lot of people are understanding now, especially those that are in the same boat and that could be some of the management, it could be the backroom team that are in business, have been in business or know I suppose what it takes to be sailing your own boat. Uh 
they're very understanding players players are understanding as well but a lot of them are trying to understand from a place where they haven't been in the position yet I suppose for someone uh, but the support's very good there in terms of we have a life off the field as well and it's very important that I suppose that players are are settled in that in that light that they're creating off the field and that they're happy with it because ultimately you get a you get a happier player and a performing player as a result so they are supportive of that they are understanding but I suppose they haven't haven't overly had to call on that I suppose call on that understanding of my position because I would I'd be quite proud in how I prepare myself in terms of being on time and not missing training how I show up on the field show up to gym sessions and that um, I would hold myself to a high standard even even still with having the business so um, there's the odd day you might be you might be quite fatigued or you might be just a wee bit off it but um, and again that's not all down to business it could be a number of factors but generally I would hold myself to a high standard even even with the business running it would surely and most people would know that by looking at you on the football field. The downside is that people tend to only see you on the football field and think that you've got nine or ten big games a year, if you're lucky. Maybe 15 games, whatever it is, including national leagues and all that sort of stuff. But they don't kind of know that you've got to go back into the grind the next morning and you know you can't take a day off the next day injury-wise, celebrating. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's tough to be challenging yourself hard at those two levels and obviously Fergal Logan as a manager has got experience of doing all that you know is running very successful legal practice and managing loads of people so no they're 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 very very understanding and, and the likes of Fergal and Brian there and the backroom team Hugh McAleer and that they're all very very supportive and understanding of them scenarios and they very much endorse keeping things right off the field as number one which is great um, because they know that they'll be you'll be a happier player or you'll be a performing player as I said as a result but they've been there done that and they know they know what it takes on, on both fronts so oh, I'm sure need to have that support network you know so then just just to maybe um, the next step what else is happening and what, what what's your What's your vision or your focus over the next three or four years, Richie? Um, so I very much so want to want to maximise Nature and Co. Um, where it's at at the minute, um, and really maximise and develop the potential here and at, at U Sport Oma. Um, build build a brand both online and on site, and I suppose see see what the potential is after that when I maximise it. Um, I'm quite. Like under under all of this, I'm quite ambitious and entrepreneurial. Like I love, I love new ideas, new challenges. Um, so I would never rule anything out in terms of growing Nature and Co or developing it, um, or anything like that. But I've nothing set in stone in terms of the next few years with Nature and Co. Very much just want to maximise it as it is now, both online and offline on this um, current location, and go from there. Um, uh. I'm also tapping into a, a, f, a commercial finance brokerage opportunity as well. So um, recently just completed training for, for it. Um, good man. It's, it's, quite a good, it's quite a good opportunity in that it allows me to 
to do that whilst being on site at Nature Co and using the office space here. Um, and again, I done I done my business and finance in university and done my placement here with Bank of Ireland and that. So I have an insight into the the finance industry and I have a strong network in that industry as well that I can I can lean on. And I suppose that's one of the biggest things I've taken from university and my placement and I suppose the people I've met in sport is a really strong network that's the length and breadth of Ireland and further afield. Um, and I suppose one of the one of the main drivers in that is, as I said, my ambition and me I suppose uh, I like new ideas and new new challenges as well. And yes, I have a coffee shop and a gym here, but I can only I can only tap into the, the local the local network within probably ten to fifteen miles. Whereas a commercial finance brokerage allows me to tap into a much bigger network further afield that I have a strong strong link to. So um it's it's a challenge that excites me too and something I really want to want to grow in the next few years as well. Good man, I don't think like back back in A Day or certainly a few years ago, um, there was not really a focus on a pluralist economy where you were doing or pluralist revenue streams, you were just doing one thing and you were doing it very well and um, the way things have been set up now with technology and infrastructure and how people uh, consumer behaviour and so on and so forth there's opportunities to do a, a multiple um, you know sort of job streams or work streams and they they can all work equally effective together you know so yeah. fair play man I wish you all the very best with that um, and the football season kicks off for you properly championship wise in September for the club yeah yeah, the club club championships kicking off twenty second of September. So, as everyone will know, the the Tyrone championships hot and heavy. It's it's a very very tough championship. So, there's there's a lot of anticipation for that. There'll be a lot of clubs now that'll be putting their hand up to to claim it. So, it's an exciting time now coming into this time of year. And I suppose the the joy of the split season is that we we've all got the chance to go and bet into our, our club teams again and back with our, our brotherhoods as the man says so it's been really enjoyable from that front of getting to join them and getting a, a good run in before you enter the championship It's really strange to see no televised football this time of year though It is it's odd it's odd from that point of view but I suppose if you go around every club ground in the country you'll see a couple of hundred more people this time of year which you wouldn't have seen in previous years That's right they're probably not as interested because they know there's a big game on Sunday. I'm gonna lie in the house this evening. We'll go to go to Crow Park or we'll go to Clonus on Sunday or Saturday. That's uh, pretty true. Yeah. You see, you see the club grounds in the local communities are now much much busier. You get better turnouts. You have spectators there because there's intercounty players that are playing these games midweek or on a Friday evening. So, yes, it's not great that the intercounty scene is taken away, but. I think on a more local level, which is probably most important, the local community and the local club, you probably see very vibrant communities at the moment. This is not on TV, but you have you have seventy, eighty year old men that are crossing the street to go and watch their local team, and they're now excited on a Tuesday evening instead of sitting in and watching TV. I think I think I think you're right. You're speaking. But you're speaking as somebody who's got experience with both club and county. For me, recently, for that well, forever probably, it's only ever been the county, you know. So I look at it selfishly, but I know that the Tyrone Championship, for example, is probably the best football that I enjoy every year. Is the Ulster Club Championship? 
Yeah. I loved I love going to the um, the athletic grounds and the smokestacks, Dalton Park in the background, and the atmosphere is normally really highly charged. The football is of a really brilliant standard, regardless of the, the conditions. You know, these guys are not always maybe periodization isn't always taking them to the Ulster club and that's probably what happens with the Tyrone ones they're, they're peaking probably two weeks before the club championship starts in many respects um, clubs yeah, like Kilkoo uh, are probably gearing up for the Ulster club because they know they've got a very simple pathway through down it does definitely it's definitely a factor like I think emotionally the toll it takes to win a Tyrone championship because of the I suppose the depth of talent in the county I think you see a lot of strong, strong clubs that could genuinely overcome the other on any given day. Um, takes such an emotional toll, especially to win maybe four games that are really, really tough. Yeah. Right the other side of it, and then it's nearly like right we have to go again and win another four against a higher opposition or a tougher opposition and more at stake and worse conditions. Um, but I think I think that's a big. It's a big challenge for Tyrone clubs to, to conquer. I don't think it's a it's an excuse for Tyrone clubs not to be doing well at Ulster. And I'm not sitting on high horse talking about this because I've been in Ulster twice and failed. Um, so I think it's a big challenge, but it's one that it's one that I think Tyrone clubs need to start conquering because they're good enough. I, I the um, there was a period in the. I can remember watching Ballandary play Eagle Kieran in Casement Park. And what they, I don't think it, it might have been the final, I don't know, in the 2000s. And I think Eagle won it. And um, they, don't, they don't always get, it's like it's a long time since, I think it was, was it Oma? Uh, had a good run and they were beaten by Scott Neal. Mm-hmm. And that's, right. that's a few years ago. Yeah. 2014 yeah it was a deadly game of football like it, it was um, it was just a class game of football I think Kelly Clauher would have had a good run out of two um, I saw them playing slot nail as well was it nail in, in athletic grounds yeah yeah in, in 15 in 15 we went down to Bally Buffet and beat Glanties in the first round uh-huh. which was massive they were one of the favourites for it that year uh, and then Scott Sound beat us by a point in the Ulster Club semi final. That's right. And they they went and lost to Cross Lane after extra time in the Ulster Club final. Yeah. And Cross Lane then went on to. Did they win the Ulster Club that year or they might have been beat in the final by Castle Bar? So, like, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of close calls there. Um, especially for us, that was a huge opportunity. Um, I it's you know talking about it now in in kind of the middle of August makes it sound like it's a different thing when it's you're in the middle of it I'm sure like and you're playing in those conditions where it's a bit maybe less firm underfoot and colder and breezier and harder. There's, yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of variables at that time of year with the conditions of personnel and I think certain teams are really suited to to that sort of underfoot and that pace of a game and the the, the physical stakes go up threefold. In November, in comparison to September, October, even. Do surely, yeah, do surely. There's a lot of variables. A lot of variables in terms of winning and performing at that time of year. Uh, I think that's a factor for Tyrone. If you look at 
thrown at any level. The summertime hard sod is very much suited to the thrown identity of playing with intensity and a sharp underfoot and the speed of the ball, the grip on the ball, all that stuff. Um, but winter football is just totally different. It is. <laughs> it's a different animal altogether, so it's probably one of the factors, but um, you can adapt to it too, I believe. Well, here, um, I wish you very well on that on that front. Uh, obviously, the inter-county front for the 23 season, and thanks for participating today. Man, it's been really good to catch up, long overdue and all that, but I appreciate your um, taking the time there. And um, Yeah, we'll get chatting again soon, man. No problem, Paul. It's been a pleasure, and I suppose thanks for all your advice today. I appreciate it. Here, Nathan, this is the job you've done is taking you to take a lot of credit for what you've done, man. It's been a really brilliant journey. So, fair play to you, really fair play, man. It's been been deadly. No, thank you, and we'll, we'll keep in touch, no doubt. All right, good man. Thanks, Paul.